Kuta Mari here, welcome to First Up, it's Ramiri, that's Friday the 29th of July, coming up, is US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan or what? Uh, also in the USA, monkeypox numbers hit 1,000 a day, Bevan Hurley is with us in New York, reporter Felicity Reid's in Birmingham for the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games and a bus with a vision to make eye tests and glasses accessible to all New Zealanders who need them. We speak to the optometrist at the helm of the project. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what ethnicity you are, glasses make such a difference to you if you can't see properly. And we want to show everybody that. That'll be hello. Welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere. And we begin your Friday in the United States where US House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi has yet to confirm her visit to Taiwan. The trip has been heavily criticised by the Chinese government, which has warned of serious consequences if the visit goes ahead. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi have talked by phone in the last few hours to discuss the proposed trip and other issues, including Chinese support for Russia's war in Ukraine. The BBC's Gareth Barlow has the report. This is Taiwan. To Beijing, it's the breakaway province that must become part of the country, if needs be, by force. To Washington, it's the territory the US has pledged to help defend, if it ever comes under attack. An island nation of 23 million at the centre of a struggle between two global superpowers. And it's the potential visit to Taiwan by Nancy Pelosi, second in line to the US presidency, who, if the trip goes ahead, will be the highest-ranking American politician to travel there in 25 years that's close to creating a crisis. We have repeatedly stated our solemn position that we are firmly opposed to Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. If the US pushes ahead and challenges China's bottom line, it will inevitably face firm countermeasures. The US side will bear all the consequences. Even the Biden administration has tried to dissuade the staunch China critic from undertaking the visit, which hasn't yet been officially announced, but was planned for April. An administration fearful of the potential political fallout, despite publicly pledging support to Taipei. So I think she feels strongly about uh, supporting democracy in Taiwan. She's not the only member of Congress who feels that way. Um, And I think also the administration, uh, whether under uh, Donald Trump or uh, or Joe Biden, there is growing support in the United States for Taiwan and for its democracy. Uh, But I think there are some questions about whether this is the right time for Nancy Pelosi to go or, or indeed whether she should go at all. But with the U.S. bolstering its ability to combat Chinese dominance on computer chips, with China making ever more stern threats, and with Taiwan carrying out military drills, economically, politically, peacefully, a lot is on the line. 
That's Gareth Barlow reporting there. It is eight past five here on First Up on RNZ National. We're going to stay in the United States now where monkeypox numbers have hit more than 1,000 daily cases. Uh, for me, uh, for more now, is actually I'm, I'm joined by a man in New York, Bevan Hurley, who's hopefully staying away from the monkeypox. Uh, kia ora, Bevan, how are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Yeah, trying to. Thanks. Yeah, doing it, eh? I mean, it's, it's, I see now it's considered a public health emergency, Bevan. Yeah, we're expecting um, the Biden administration to declare monkeypox a public health emergency in the coming days. And that comes after um, that massive spike in cases that was recorded yesterday. Previously, there'd been around 4,000 in total, and that obviously shot up by more than 1,000 in a day. Um, experts believe this dramatic spike in cases and positive tests is due to an increase in testing. And the new figures put the US in a familiar place at the top of the global table. Um, um, although still behind Spain on a per capita basis. Now, America's been criticised for being too slow to roll out tests and vaccinations, especially for gay and bisexual men, where most of the cases are being recorded. And there have been inevitable comparisons with its lacklustre COVID response. Um, no deaths have been recorded uh, as of yet, um, but several patients have had to be hospitalised and two children have now been infected. Uh, Nathan, today we learned that um, New York, which is the high, recording the highest number of cases in the country will receive an additional 110,000 doses of monkeypox vaccine after the Biden administration finally managed to secure the release of stock of uh, shots from overseas. Um, across the globe, cases have surged to more than 20,075 countries, and the WHO is uh, urging those most at risk to limit their sexual partners. Oh, wow. Um, now, th- this is an interesting thing that's just happened over there, too, as we stick with the Biden administration, the Democrat, uh, Democrats just pledging hundreds of billions for climate change. And there's always that one senator who's very hard to get across the line, Joe Manchin. Tell me about the deal. And they, did they manage to convince him to vote with them? Yeah, this is a really stunning turn of events. And if it goes through, it's going to represent the first major legislative progress on climate change in the US in a long, long time. Um, Joe Manchin, the uh, conservative Democrat from West Virginia, uh, reached a deal with party leaders on Wednesday on a $433 billion spending package that aims to combat climate change, lower healthcare costs, and reduce the federal deficit by increasing taxes on those making over 400000 a year. Most of the spending is uh, focused on climate and clean energy, and it would uh, represent the largest investment in um, those those uh, clean um, gas and fuel uh, in US history. And it marked a uh, quite a sudden departure from Manchin's position just a few days earlier. Um, just only, only last week, Manchin had, had said that he wouldn't support any new spending on climate. And this was actually a condition of Republican senators giving their support to a separate $50, $50 billion spending package to bolster demo, uh, domestic microchip manufacturing and fund scientific research. And almost as soon as that chips bill went through, Manchin made his about face. And this has led to a furious reaction from Senate Republicans who are accusing uh, the Democrats of pulling one over on them. And it appears that the Democrats are finally adopting the kind of aggressive and even duplicitous <laughs> tactics normally associated with I was going to say, it's what the Republicans, the Republicans Don't do my trick on me! How dare you! There you go. Um, also, too, I mean, the story of Brittany Griner, the basketball player who is being held in Russia, sounds like a prisoner swap on the way. They're going to march from one end of a bridge each, you know, and let them out. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's sort of Bridge of Spies stuff, isn't it? Um, we, yeah. we, so the, this notorious Russian arms trafficker, Victor Boot, um, is, is doing 25 years in US prison uh, for arms trafficking. And on Wednesday, um, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that the US had presented a proposal to Moscow weeks ago to swap Boot for the WNBA star Brittany Griner and another um, US prisoner called uh, Paul Whelan. Um, now, the top US diplomat, uh, Mr. Blinken, said he intended to um, discuss this with Sergei Lavrov, his counterpart in Russia, when he meets with him next week. And all eyes are going to be on whether this can actually um, get done. The, this morning, the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Lavrov, said that they had not yet accepted the terms of that prisoner swap. So, um, you know, Russians uh, typically play hardball on these things. So we'll see if it can get over the line. But it would be a major coup after months of um, behind-the-scenes negotiations. Yeah, it's been horrible for her too. Thank you very much, Bevan Hurley, who uh, was with us out of New York City. Thirteen past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. It's Com Games starting today. Com Games memories. Um, do you have any actually recent Com Games memories, or do we always fall back on the the video clips of Christchurch, whether you remember them yourself or whether you've just seen them so many times in every single montage uh, in in New Zealand sports history? But uh, Com Games for you two one oh one. I'll do it the old fashioned way. First up at RNZ.co.nz. Well, in Africa, the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo has held an auction for rights to drill for oil in rainforest land in the past few hours. And joining me from Ghana is our correspondent, Nabil Ahmed. Morena, Nabil. Morena, Nathan. How are you? I'm good, my friend. Tell me, what are the critics saying um, about this rights auction? Well, Nathan, the critics who are mainly environmental activists are concerned that uh, licensing rights for about 30 oil and gas blocks in the DR Congo uh, that have gone for auction, open parts of the world's second biggest uh, rainforest to drilling. And that could release large amounts of carbon into the atmosphere. Now, uh, the country's president, Jose, uh, Felix Tisikedi, has said that uh, they are going to employ some modern methods of drilling and also they would enforce tight regulation that would make, minimize uh, ecological impact and has also denied that Congo was going back on commitments to protect its forests. But these environmental activists are still concerned that these drilling in the designated areas would uh, largely uh, have dire consequences to the environment uh, because several of the uh, proposed oil blocks uh, overlap with uh, pitlands and swampy areas that hold large amounts of carbon. Yeah, we'll stay in Congo. Can you please tell me more? There's been protests that have been quite deadly. What, what's what's behind those? Well, basically, the people in DRC are protesting against the UN mission in the country. You know, uh, the country has been facing some rebel attacks for some time now. And it appears the people are not satisfied with the UN mission there. And they've been having some protests for some time now. And this has left at least 15 people dead uh, with several others injured. Now, the UN on Tuesday said one peacekeeper uh, from Morocco and also two international policemen from India who are serving with the UN peacekeeping mission uh, were slain. And a policeman from Egypt was also injured. And uh, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has actually condemned all these attacks and called for calm in DR Congo. Uh, let's go to Nigeria. Nigeria shut down some schools there in Abuja. What, why have they done that? 
Well, it's basically due to the insecurity within uh, the country and largely in the capital, Abuja. Now, schools have been told to shut and send children home uh, because of security fears. Now, um, the country is saying that based on intelligence reports, um, it suggests that some armed groups are planning attacks in several states in Nigeria, including uh, the capital, Abuja. And now schools have mainly been the target for these attacks because uh, people have been kidnapped by uh, kidnapping gangs in recent years. And hundreds of students have actually been held for ransom. And uh, this particular effort is just to avoid these kidnappings. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, look, we're just about to get the Com Games underway, but uh, let's have a look at a runner from Nigeria. I watched this. Toby Amerson. Woof! Uh, new world record on the 100-metre hurdles there. Exactly. It's been a lot of excitement in Nigeria because of this world record that uh, this uh, sprinter has actually chalked. Um, Oluwatobi Amosa won Nigeria's first world championships gold medal and a world record of 12.12 seconds early on Monday uh, in Oregon uh, during the world championships. And it's been a lot of excitement over this particular feat uh, because it's been long coming for her to achieve this great feat. And actually, uh, this 12.12 second uh, record was talked during the semifinals. And during the final round, she actually was able to run 12.06 seconds. But that was not recorded uh, because of legal wind uh, records that uh, prevent such records from being I mean, put into the books, uh, Nathan. Yeah, Nabil, thank you very much for your time, sir. There he is out of Ghana. Nabil Ahmed. Used to hate the hurdles on Sports Day. That one, goodness. Uh, it's uh, 18 past five. I'm Nathan Rarity, and you are listening to First Up here on RNZ National. So, sticking with athletics and so forth, we'll cross to Birmingham as excitement builds for the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. And we are just minutes away from finding out which fruit gets the gold medal, get it, and is named First Up's Fruit of the Week. They are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, Joining me now from the Fresh Produce Markets is our Minister of Fruit and Veggies. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn. Hope you've had a good week. Oh, great, Nathan. Morena, how are you, sir? I'm really good. Now, um, it's been obviously very wet around the nation. How's that affected the growers and, and the produce this week? Yeah, we had our fair share of rough weather this week, all right, and even saw some videos of green vegetables yet to be harvested in Nelson underwater. Very sad. North Canterbury and Omaru also very wet. Levin still short on vegetable lines, but thankfully Manama too helping out. And Pukakoi outdoor spinach is a write-off, and Emmett, our good man on the ground there, says it's just miserable. Growth is slow, and cosmetically, product looks ugly. Weather, you know, has to improve there. Otherwise, onion growers aren't going to be able to plant in August when they do, for example for next year's crop. However, when that listener on Monday mentioned fennel bulb and carrots into a yummy stew, thought it time to call the lovely Norman and Kerry Young in Oakuni for an update. He was still on his tractor at sunset picking out the dry paddocks, harvesting carrots and potatoes. But the swamp issues aside, he said, there remains good volumes of carrots and spuds in Cooney. You know, and then I saw his carrots in a store later that day, two kilo Tim Young and Sons pre-packed bags for only three, um, three, three nine. Now that's a cracker price to be fair. And uh, what are their family having for meals these cold nights? Beef stews as well, with plenty of carrots within and beautiful mashed potato on the other half of the plate. So, you know, so hearty and wholesome. Yeah, time to get into the stews, all right? Love mashed potato. 
Yeah. It's just the best. I had a birthday cake made out of mashed potato once, which my friend made for me, which she instantly regretted once she realised actually how many potatoes you were going to have to mash to make a decent cake. So there you are. Um, (laughs) Hey, um, what's big on the fungus front? Oh, yeah, vegetables, we wanted to get onto those. I mean, atrocious weather of late, growers are struggling to replant. So we could have a repeat of last spring where we get that hole in supply of greens. However, right now, supply has been termed at the markets as reasonable, which is probably a good call as product on the floors on Thursday um, markets was not completely grim. We saw fair volumes of Coomera. Taylor Farms that sell of greens in prepacked bags have come to our rescue. Parsnips were looking grand. Telegraph cucumbers, although a little smaller in winter, were nice and fresh. And the pick of your greens this weekend would be leeks, celery, cauliflower and silver beet. But another line in good supply and where the growers of these gear up for, you know, production for their high demand in winter are mushrooms. Glenn Drummond of Meadows in Christchurch says portobellos are great at the moment and he mentioned mushrooms are a perfect addition also for your slow cooker. Now mushrooms don't get a lot of airtime either on just how good they are for you but a handful of mushrooms can provide up to 60% of the recommended daily intake of many essential vitamins and minerals. So yeah, get into the... All right, we will, but I understand it's a sad end to the, uh, the the thing that makes your thumbnail smell really nice. It's the end of the mandarin season. <laughs> You're right about that. Fruit, The tropical fruit we talked about on Monday has all been lovingly ripened for us and in stores this weekend. There is also good supplies of lemons, avocados, tamarillos and some more fresh strawberries arriving in by air from Australia. However, do you have an inkling for our fruit of the week today? Glenn, what's your fruit of the week? It's oranges. Now, it's not just oranges, it's New Zealand naval oranges. It's that Suma mandarins you've just referred to. They're coming to the end of their season. Aussie oranges had the floor for, for July, but for August, it is all about New Zealand oranges. The rain has made it hard to pick, and the high winds can cause damage and loss from the trees, but the Northland and Gisborne crops are well underway. Lowest retail prices we've seen this week are two ninety nine a kilo, which is great buying for this very popular fruit. Now, one of the best sources of vitamin C they are, one medium orange containing more than the recommended daily allowance. That orange would hold about 65 calories, and an even greater percentage of vitamin C and other desirable properties as, as, as fibre is obtained when you when the pulp is taken with the juice. And I was thinking about your beautiful kids there, Nathan. Uh, orange peels are probably easy to pick up in the car than bad root peels. Yeah, they are. And remember too, the best thing about them is the mouth guard that you make where you turn it inside out and make the funny false teeth. There, there is Glenn Forsyth, your Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 29th of July. On this day in 1954, the first part of J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy epic The Lord of the Rings was published, and it never went on to do anything after that. What a flop. 1954. John, was it John Ronald? Oh, Raoul? Raoul. I hopefully have got that right. I used to annoy people on my old radio show just for fun by calling him Junior R. Tolkien and then just sitting back and watching the text line just burst into flames. It was great fun. In 1958, talk about reacting to something straight away. So the Soviets had sent up the first man-made satellite uh, to orbit the Earth and the Americans were like hitting the desk. So the US President Dwight D. Eisenhower goes, OK, NASA. So it was invented. Basically, uh, the legislation passed on this day in 1958. Tour de France stopped being a little... Uh, well, it became more sneaky. On this day in 1966, tour officials conducting their first drug test on riders. The riders used to, have a look at this in Google image, 
In the early days of the Tour de France, they would actually sit up for a cigarette before they rode the mountain stages because the the thing the thought was this really gives me a lift. Uh, nicot- uh, amphetamine use was huge in the first year of drugs testing. One third of the riders tested tested positive for amphetamines. Uh, to go to the arts and culture desk, I can tell you on this day in 1978, the movie with the line "Toga, Toga" that made you want to have a toga party. Animal House came out. It cost them three million dollars to make. It made 141 million dollars, which was a good return back then. And on this day in 1981, um, nations celebrated. The UK celebrated because it was the marriage of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer, and we celebrated because we went Curry to Carnival. That was at St Paul's Cathedral in London and that's what happened on this day on the 29th of July. The best things in life are free. And give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Joining us now from the business team is Nicholas Poynton. Kia ora man, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? I'm pretty good. So what's happening at Auckland Airport? They're just, they're just hiring people. The, the jobs. They, you they, they with the are jobs. having a jobs fair this weekend and they are looking to hire or fill 3,000 positions. Okay. Which is a huge number, but all of this is about the border. The last of the border restrictions come off on Monday or midnight on Sunday. And while Auckland Airport, we've, we've had a chat with them, they don't necessarily expect a big bump in travel activity. You have to think that we are in winter, our, our real boom times at the end of the year. Mm. They're looking to really scale up in the months ahead because they've had one eye on what's been happening in the northern hemisphere where airports there have been ab- absolutely slammed. They did not necessarily prepare f- or they didn't prepare, didn't necessarily expect the level of demand they've seen this summer. You've heard the stories probably about yeah, airlines having to c- cancel hundreds of flights a day, yeah. you know, hundreds of flights a week, just because they don't have enough people at the airport in some respects to actually, you know, take your bags off the plane. Yeah. Or enough I've heard people- about some of the flights. They're like, we can't go because you'll have no luggage. Yeah, you'll have no luggage. Heathrow Airport actually said to the airlines, please, stop booking flights from this airport. We cannot take any more people. We're I'm going to say that's that not capacity. a good business model for an airport. Well, hey, look that's, at, that's literally all they are. Some would say. Yeah. Um, but... So, so Auckland Airport, they're trying to think ahead, but they do have a lot of positions to fill because in the wake of the pandemic, they really scaled down operations. The international terminal was essentially mothballed because hardly mm. anybody was coming in. So 3,000 positions, that's across a range of positions. That could be from people working at retail stores yep. to cleaners, people maybe working in sort of uh, air, you know traffic control. I'm not sure they just want to pick up people off the street. No, no, that. no, you just want to do that. Like, all right. No. Well, I mean, when you think about them, they are all around the world. Like the the major airports are like small cities. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, look, Auckland Airport put out a, an announcement yesterday that they're building a 100 store shopping centre because mm. they own Auckland Airport. You, you you may forget this, but they own so much property in that area. So not only are they just operating an airport, they are also sort of commercial pro- property developers as well. They're looking to hire you know another 500 plus people for that new shopping mall, which is set to open in, in 2024. So you're right, they are huge operations. Yeah, they are. Nicholas, thank you very much for your time. So you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10.27. Let's go to the money markets now. Your New Zealand dollar is trading at 62.66 US cents, 89.54 Australian cents, 61.75 Euro cents, 51.7 British pence, 4.231, 84.32 Japanese yen, 38.62 Russian rubles, and if you go into um, the Congo, 1,255.10 Congolese francs. 
Well, tradies. Boy, this is terrible news. Traders say that the theft of their tools and equipment is happening far more often than it used to, and the thieves are getting pretty sophisticated. I spoke with the New Zealand Certified Builders Chief Executive, Malcolm Fleming. There has certainly been an upsurge in tools being stolen from sites and also from traders' vehicles. We reached out to the membership nationwide over the last couple of days. It appears to be most prominent in areas such as the Bay of Plenty and, and also in Napier. And a lot of that is break-ins into people's vehicles. And often there's a revisit to that as well. Further north in Auckland, the activity seems to be a little bit more planned. Been hearing of sites that are, for houses that are close to being closed in and appliances being stolen. You know, for example, the kitchen stove or the microwave has been taken from the, from the site in the evenings. Mm. Also been hearing about, even on a greater scale than that, probably appreciate with larger construction sites, materials have been accommodated uh, or held on site in trailers and even in containers. I've heard of occasions in the last month or two where secured trailers have been towed away from sites. I've heard about containers in which builders' materials been located and secured, been picked up and taken away. Now that would require a truck with a hired device to be able to do that. So there is, it would appear there'd be pockets of well-planned, quite a high-level burglaries of construction sites. Yeah, it sounds like it, Malcolm. I, I know that there was a spate uh, of this. I remember before the pandemic in Auckland in particular, there were break-ins like that that were happening with builders' tools and stuff. This sounds so much more organised doesn't it? I mean, do we think it's organised crime or are they more opportunistic or insiders? What's the story? Well, it depends on the location. So certainly there's that opportunistic um, aspect to it and the break-ins of the vans and going back a second time as well. But in terms of the planning involved for some of these larger scale break-ins that we've been talking about, the containers on the trailers and sites, that does suggest a more uh, high-level criminal network and involvement and planning. And that's becoming a little bit concerning. All of this, whether it's opportunistic or carefully planned at a large scale, all of it adds stress, cost and time to the building process. And that lands on the plate of either the builder or the client. And some mitigation strategies that our members are undertaking is taking the tools from site each day, which is not time efficient, you know, worried about leaving them on site and losing them overnight. So that adds, adds time to the project. But also with home renovations, also making it less obvious that the site is under construction. So the builders aren't putting up their signs to the same degree that they were. Mm. So not advertising, this is a building site. Malcolm, there's, uh, you know, like, so if you're stealing these things, I imagine it's to resell them. And I suppose you would have had a look. Are you seeing a flood of tools that seem to be very suspiciously, you know, suitable for building sites on, on things like Facebook Marketplace, etc.? I haven't seen that personally, but I'm also aware that a lot of these tools, particularly the higher end, are registered and they have have systems attached to them. So if they were taken into a service agent and I need this tool serviced, it would flash up, this tool is stolen, and that would be a big warning sign. So someone who's purchased that down the track could well become unstuck and this is a stolen um, tool and become at that point the balloon would go up. Yeah. What advice have you got out there for tradies and even how can you register your tool? So a lot of the tool companies now have that registration system attached to them and some of them even have embedded in them location devices as well. 
And in addition, some of the tools also have automatic turn-offs unless the PIN number's been put into them. But in terms of just day-to-day for tradies, make sure that the tools are packed away securely, ideally left the site, and if they are in vans and utes, those vans and utes should be secured and, uh, and garaged overnight. In terms of larger sites, greater surveillance would be appropriate. Just while I think about it, the, the likes of things like jib, which is obviously, I mean, that's hen's teeth at the moment, and things like copper. I mean, people were ripping copper out of places. Is, is stuff like that still happening? Yes, it is. Yep, copper is still happening. I was talking to a builder yesterday about that exact same problem. So they're taking down copper spouting and uh, down pipes as well. That's New Zealand Certified Builders CEO Malcolm Fleming. Sports coming at you, it's like a big sports food hall and they've set it up in Birmingham and it's all set to go. Barry Guy is with me now. Maureen, how are you? I've got the sports quote of the week. Are you ready for this one, Barry? Yep. So this is from uh, Nadine Dorries, who's one of the British politicians over there. So she's the Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. Now she was the one who confused Rugby League with Rugby Union at the Rugby League World Cup launch. She's at it again. She's just told the BBC News yesterday... About Birmingham, we haven't had a sporting event like this in the UK since the 2012 Olympics. As she welcomed the opening of the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, just a reminder to everyone that Glasgow uh, held the Commonwealth Games mm-hmm. in 2014. So well done, Nadine Doris. I've got a quote too from uh, Nicola Wright, newsreader RNZ. Yes, we were talking about Elise Andrews, the sprinter, having to go into the pursuit team mm. when they had an injury there, and I said, "Goodness, that's a bit tough a sprinter having to do 4,000 metres." Uh, isn't it? And Nicola goes, no, it's just like riding a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving that for a couple of days. And I've, it's a good Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's a big one. Maybe um, you should play some Duran Duran yes. at some stage because that's going to be in the opening. When, Barry, oh, when how you, did ta- you how When did you, you talk know? to Felicity a bit, a bit later on, play Duran Duran perhaps. You've been or, squeezing um, the presents under the tree here. Yeah, or um, uh, Tommy... Uh, Iomi from um, Black Sabbath. He's going to go. play as well. So uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have Birmingham music. Yeah, very good. No, busy uh, first day of competition. Uh, the hockey, the sevens teams. Remember, they both won mm. in uh, on the Gold Coast. That what an amazing day that was in 2018. I thought there's no way the men that are going to beat Fiji. Overtime, the Kelly Brazier. Yeah. And yes. they beat the Aussies. Uh, it was the Aussies, wasn't it? The women yeah, it beat the Aussies. And I thought, goodness, winning got two gold medals. That was just outstanding. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, Hayden Wilds in the uh, triathlon. He's uh, obviously a good chance there, the Olympic bronze medalist. Unfortunately, some news just, just come through overnight. Ainsley Thorpe has had to pull out of the women's individual. Uh, she's uh, got COVID. Um, gold medalist from last time, Sophie Pascoe's in the pool. Erica Fairweather, she's very good also. Yeah. Um, so there is uh, a lot happening. So and it's the old classic uh, aquatic sports uh, at, straight out the gate, is it? That's, yeah. Good. And then, uh, so what they tend to do at these games is they have swimming for the one one part of the competition because it's uh, very popular on TV. And then mm. they, and they, because it's always at a similar time, two sessions. And then they bring the athletics and right. uh, and uh, have it as well. So we won forty six. We won forty six medals on the Gold Coast, twenty eighteen, fifteen gold, and so. That was in cycling, swimming, bowls, squash, weightlifting, athletics, hockey, 
Boxing and Sevens. So do you think there's any chance we're going to be able to do that again this yeah, time? Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. I'd, you know, I'm always reminded, the great thing is when you watch the cycling, you're always like, our uniforms are the coolest. And I always oh, imagine no. someone tuning in from some other country and going, oh, who's that? They're my new favourite team now. Yeah. Because I'm that arrogant. The, the team pursuit is in that black. Oh, yeah. It's just sexy looks almost, isn't it? Can I yeah. say that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. No, no, it is. <laughs> certainly is. I'll tell you that. We, we look like the baddies and everything, but it's cool being the baddies. Uh, we should also point out, too, hopefully City Kickboxing in New Zealand wins another UFC belt on Sunday. Kai Cutter France is uh, fighting Brandon Marino, who is they're fighting in Texas. Now, Brandon Marino, with a surname like that, tends to have a lot of local support. But um, Kai, Kai stepping up for that, so best of luck for him in Dallas. And I'm, uh, weather permitting, hoping to get to Jerry Collins Stadium on Sunday because uh, Wellington are playing Waikato, the champions, in the Farapama Cup. Brilliant. Thank you very much. There we are. Catch Barry uh, in Porirua this weekend. Put five o'clock out of your mind. It was 40 minutes ago. We're moving on. I'm Nathan Raddity with first up here on RNZ National. Still to come, Felicity Reid, live from the Commonwealth Games and uh, a mobile optometry service that wants to give access to prescription glasses for everyone who needs them. The professionals of Morning Report are up after six. And they're ready for com games and all sorts of other things that will come your way. It's Susie Ferguson. Kia ora, Susie. Kia ora, how are you? I'm very good. I always get excited by the com games. It's just fun. It's, it is you know, fun. Tune in, see random things and find out. <laughs> My daughters do things like, out of nowhere, go, Dad, is the weightlifting on? Yes! I'm like, really? It's the only time they'll watch it. They won't watch it again, but they'll be enthralled for a few days. Love it. One of our, um, you know, from my great age, she feels very young to me. One of our quite young producers is very keen on the lawn bulls and is amped yeah. for them. I was like, okay, great. Yeah, it's really old lawn yeah. bowls. We can still yeah. get a jug for a decent price, you see, that's why. Yeah. Good old days price. What's happening on the show? Well, funny you speak of the Commonwealth Games because yes. that opening ceremony gets underway at about six o'clock this morning. So, of course, that is morning report time. That's uh, the 22nd Commonwealth Games. Just a little fun fact there for you. Yes. Uh, we'll also be talking a little bit later in the show about whether the next Games could be in New Zealand, whether that's a viable idea. But also in the news today, the US, the Chinese president, is warning the United States to stay out of Taiwan. Uh, It's the one China Mm. thing, saying those who play with fire will get burnt. And also back here, a police uh, report saying that police fell short of expectations uh, regarding the road to zero, uh, the road toll. Um, situation. Hundreds died and thousands were injured on the roads last year so we will be talking quite extensively about that as well but certainly it is Commonwealth Games that will be peppered right through the programme because that opening ceremony and all of the the, the flair and the colour and the gorgeousness will be coming your yeah. way after six. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Susie. Yeah, it's always fun alphabetically going, when are we? What's, oh, there we go. Uh, look, hey, we like stories about good things um, happening in the community here at First Up. This morning we're shining the light on an initiative which is providing optometry to those who may not have access. So Vision Bus Aotearoa is a bus. Looks more like a camper van, but it's a bus that visits schools and community groups in need of eye care. Reporter Leonard Powell went to visit the bus on their school holiday break to see how it all works. Run by the Auckland University School of Optometry and Vision Science, the Vision Bus Aotearoa delivers full eye tests and glasses to Auckland school children as well as adults through Marae and other community organisations. At the helm of the project, which launched on the 10th of June, is optometrist and teaching fellow Verin Mora. 
He says the first six weeks of Vision Bus Aotearoa could only be described in one word, wild. It's been an amazing experience. You know, I've been into schools, into care homes, and I've seen all sorts of things that I wouldn't normally see in a daily optometry practice in the city and been able to help people who are less fortunate. So it's, it's a win-win. The idea is a simple one. Optometry for those who can't easily access it. The concept is equity. So we're trying to achieve fairness in eye health across New Zealand. So it doesn't matter how old you are, what your background is, what ethnicity you are. We're trying to achieve fairness for everyone. Kitted out to see two patients at a time, the Vision Bus has everything you would expect in a regular optometry clinic with the added bonus of being on wheels. It's been made possible thanks to philanthropists Peter and Ray Fail, who heard of the concept in its early days and came on board to fund the bus and make both the consultations and glasses free. The days visiting schools are all go, according to Verin. It's quite a busy and hectic day for us. We get the kids through, we put eye drops in their eyes to relax the muscles and they get to choose glasses and then we come back later on and deliver the glasses. We have a little celebration together because it's better to see other children the same age as you wearing glasses. I think they, they just feel a bit more at ease. Before the vision bus, Verin was a flying optometrist in Western Australia, where he spent five years flying Cessna planes into remote indigenous communities as part of the Lions Outback vision. A second-generation New Zealander, Verin's grandfather travelled here from Gujarat, India as a 10-year-old on a container ship, eventually settling in Pukekoi, where Verin's family is based. Diversity is important to Verin, something he hopes to see more of in his field. New Zealand's a super diverse cultural community. Right now, our optometrists don't reflect that same diversity. What we want to try and do is show cross cultures the optometry service, what it can do for people and the powerful effect of glasses. Because it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what ethnicity you are, glasses make such a difference to you if you can't see properly. And we want to show everybody that and then Hopefully what I'm going to do through the bus is have more optometrists of different ethnic groups come and become optometrists so that they can help the same people. The initiative was conceived by Professor Steve Dakin five years ago, whose tireless work has ensured the service will run as it stands for the next five years. Head of School of Optometry and Vision Science Andrew Collins says along with providing equity, Vision Bus Aotearoa is also a useful tool for the University of Auckland. It also supports an important training role for our students and of course it supports research into vision and eye health within the Great Auckland New Zealand area. For Verin, who is the son of long-time Pukekohe doctor Ish Mora, helping kids with their sight hits close to home. When I was a little boy I couldn't see the hockey ball down the very end of the field. I thought I was going blind. I genuinely was really quite stressed and worried. My mother took me to an optometrist and with those first pair of glasses on looked up at, out the window at some trees and just it blew my mind how clear everything was and at that moment I realised I want to give the same feeling to people. With plans to venture out around the North Island, Verin hopes that the statistic of one in every ten kids needing glasses but sitting undiagnosed will improve. Through the Vision Bus Aotearoa, families will save money and more opportunities will be created. If you think about a person who is really limited in their sight, now becoming fully sighted, 
able to advance their career in any way they choose, you know, the economic cost would be massive. Leonard Powell with that reporter. I remember when I first came out of uh, the optometrist in Hastings with my glasses. Couldn't believe that everyone else could see the time on all these things I didn't know about. Apparently all of you could see individual leaves on trees. You could all see faces over the road and you could see the, the clock tower time. If you would like to contribute to the cause too, visit visionbus.ac.nz to learn more. Well, if you're thinking uh, that you've been hearing more beautiful birds on like this in the capital... Your ears are not lying. Latest figures show that native birds have increased by 51% on Wellington's Miramar Peninsula. Uh, this includes a rise in the Piwakawaka population uh, with a whopping 550% rise there. And that's all thanks to predator-free Wellington's efforts to eradicate predators in the area. So possums and also one species of rat have already been eliminated. There's plans to expand the movement as part of the predator-free 2050 goal. Project Director James Wilcox is up early to join us. First Thank you very much, James. Secondly, congratulations. How did you go about achieving this? Yeah, kia ora, Nathan. Look, it's been a, a long, hard journey. I mean, this, this kind of work we don't believe has been done before anywhere in the world. So a multi-species eradication in the urban environment. We've got a team of about 30 field operators that have been combing the peninsula and servicing up to 11,000 different traps and bait stations, you know, everywhere and then hunting, tracking out these last rats. So it's been a huge effort, and it's been done in partnership with the community as well. So heaps of volunteers and working with about 3,000 individual homeowners and businesses. Well, it's amazing. Yeah, so going up and setting the traps there by yourself and putting them in there. So um, one of the things is, like we mentioned, that that incredible number, like you know, what fantail numbers are, 550%, they're hard enough to keep a track of when there's one of them flying around you eating bugs. How do you count them? So it's done through a process called five-minute bird counts, and we set up a standardised grid, so a station about one every 400 metres, and then every year a team of external contractors come in, and they stand in place for five minutes, and they essentially count everything that they can hear, and that goes into a tally. So, you know, of course you get down-day variances, but it's really great for tracking abundance and distribution of native species through time. It's fantastic. Okay, so I always wondered how you did that. You know, getting rid of the rats and getting rid of the possums. Can you just explain for listeners why that's so important? You know, what do they do that's been stunting the numbers? Yeah, so we are part of, just I guess in terms of some context, part of a national vision to eradicate introduced predators from Aotearoa by 2050. And specifically, Wellington is focused on that, that urban space. So we've got huge support from our partners and funders in PF 2050 Limited and then Wellington City Council, Regional Council and the Next Foundation. That, that goal, that national goal why I mention it, is um, focusing on the species that do the most damage in this country. So that's mustelids, stoats, weasels, rats and possums. So they're, they're just amazing predators. You know, they weren't part of this landscape in Aotearoa when we split from Gondwanaland all those millions of years ago. And they've just laid waste to our native species. So it's a little known fact, really, that, that our country is basically at the top of the list in terms of threatened and endangered species. And we're kind of saying, enough, you know, not on our watch. We want to pass over an environment that's not half trash to the next generation. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. I know that dogs are particularly bad for Kiwis in Northland when we've spoken to the people in Northland about if your dog shoots into a bush, please be very careful. What about cats, though? I mean, we love cats here, but the cats, they're bad. Should they just stay inside? Yeah, I mean, cats aren't part of our, our program. We're, we're just focused on the possums, stoats, rats and weasels. But, yeah, you're right, they do have an impact on, on our native wildlife and especially birds. And, 
you know, we work really closely with our partners in city council. We've got a great advocacy and education program. So just, you know, giving people more information and it's it's safer to have your moggies inside at night. You know, we have our cats inside because we don't want them roaming around and, you know, getting hit by cars or, or plundering native wildlife. So it's certainly part of the picture, but, but we are seeing more and more people ask questions around it and make, make their own informed decisions. And that's that's great. Oh, well, good on you, James. James, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, the project uh, director there, uh, Predator Free Wellington. What an increase there in numbers. And also, too, the native planting is huge, too. I know that um, growing up, I used to get very excited whenever I'd see one of the kahu or kareria flying around. Now in Auckland, it seems weird. Right in the middle of Auckland, I'll see like 10 of them a day on the drive. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. But we're going to jump now to the home of Duran Duran. Birmingham. Uh, the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games about to begin. The 11-day-long event consists of 19 sports, 72 nations, 280 medal events and over 5,000 athletes. And just two, just two selected to be the RNZ journalists, the finest that we could send because we need international game standards journalists who we've set. Uh, let's cross to the second largest city in the United Kingdom to our reporter Felicity Reid who's standing by. Kia ora, Felicity, how are you? Good, Nathan. I'm doing well. Now, I'm figuring it's, well, well, we're just minutes away from the start of the opening ceremony. It must be a very excited Birmingham that we find you in. Tell us about the place. Yeah, well, I've been here five days, and it's really in the last 24 hours that I've really started to notice an increase in the activity out here. There's more people out on the streets, but there's also this increased security presence, and the Queen's Baton Relay came through here yesterday, which drew lots of um, people out onto the streets, and probably explained why there were three helicopters hovering outside my hotel window. <laughs> but um, actually, also, I'm not sure if you can hear that there's a very competitive game of uh, social ping-pong happening behind me down here in the Friendly Place Festival Zone. It's, yeah, it's all go as people are settling in to watch it on the big screen. I was just thinking, Felicity, when you said about how you've been there five days and there's a bit where it's a little bit quiet and it kicks in, we kind of did hit that game cycle, didn't we, where journalists would go over about a week early and really only have themselves to report on before that or World Cups. But you must have been greeting the New Zealand teams and they've come in and, and had a chance to, to chat with them all. Who's been the most memorable people for you so far that, that you've seen of, of our competitors? They've sort of all come through and had a little bit of a chat with us and um, I'm not sure if you saw, but I had a chat with um, James Sophie Pasco down by the canal. It's all very picturesque down these ways as well. <laughs> and I sort of think that the energy amongst all these people that are coming in, it's kind of infectious as well. They were all out at the uh, flag bearer naming yesterday with um, congratulations to Paul Mulch and Joel King. But those athletes, I think it was starting to sink in for some of them, just what the enormity of this occasion or this event is and is starting to settle into this whole experience. But I have to say, it's probably not actually great news for everybody in the camp. There is, I guess, some unfortunate news in that triathlete Ainsley Thorpe has had to withdraw from the individual triathlon. She um, has COVID. She isn't actually here. She is in Spain, and so not actually in the athlete's village. Yes, on the flip side of that, we've got one of the male, who we're not sure which sport he takes in, but he had COVID on arrival here and he's actually come out of isolation and gone into the athlete's village. There are a couple of hockey players who unfortunately have had to be replaced in the split six men's side, so they won't be getting their games experience. So, you know, as you come in and you sort of see these memorable occasions and you see these people, you sort of feel for some of them as well. 
Oh yeah, and I mean you're trying to arrive there in peak physical condition for you've been like working towards this for years, and then you get sick beforehand. That's not a good way to do it. I was wondering, um, the heat wave that we were talking so much about in in uh, English news last week. What are the temperatures like there at the moment? Oh, everyone's very quick to tell me about the heat wave, and <laughs> I should have seen the weather last week. And but actually, right at the second, I'm in, down outside in the sand zone, but I'm sort of huddling close to a building with my eyes skyward, hoping that it's not about to rain on me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, it's known for good curries, peaky blinders, uh, cricket. What's something else that you can tell us about Birmingham that you've found so far? Oh, maybe this is just because of an, I'm an Aucklander, but it's actually polite drivers. Um, I've been driven around some of these back streets. There's obviously heaps of detours around at the moment as they've put in these sites or need to increase security for athletes or just put in these new um, roadways to help people get around the city, but everyone very politely waits for the car to come through or pulls over nicely, no sort of honking, hooting, pulling out or abusiveness. <laughs> well, that's great. Hey, Felicity, thank you very much. We'll um, be speaking with Felicity throughout the Con Games too, and you'll hear uh, all the reports coming back from the RNZ uh, sports team who are up there and amongst the flurry of huckers, hopefully. Uh, I asked before about your Com Game memories. Quickly try and get through them. I have my father's Com Games blanket from the 74 games. He represents New Zealand in rifle shooting. That's a good one. Uh, Simon uh, in uh, Sumner is talking about a trippy memory of running a Glam 1500 on the QE2 track for my Sumner primary. How good is that? Uh, the Empire Games at Eden Park, Corfo Intermediate, Nathan, just up the road. Class is finished. At lunchtime, we walked down in our classes, stayed until Unit 3. Uh, stayed until 3 o'clock. There you go. Yvette Williams was amazing. Enjoy your day. I will. Enjoy your weekend. Morning Report is next with Susie and Corin. From all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a wonderful weekend, a safe weekend. We'll be back in your ears on Monday.